I think the main positive to come out of this awful situation is probably more of a human one. I think it's actually empathy. We understand people, organizations need to be productive, they have to be efficient, we have to manage risks, but more important, we've got to put our people front and center of everything all the time. Hello and welcome to Explain It, brought to you by SoftCap, the show for IT professionals by IT professionals that aims to simplify the complex and often overcomplicated bits of enterprise IT without compromising on the detail. Welcome back to another episode of Explain It. I'm your host, Zach Abbott, and over the next 30-ish minutes, I'll be talking to our panel of experts about the unavoidable topic of coronavirus as we explore what the lasting implications of the pandemic might be. We'll be discussing what effects and adaptations we've seen that are likely to remain even after the pandemic has finished, including the work-from-home revolution and a rapid global digital transformation. Joining me today to discuss this is Dean Gardner, SoftCat's Chief Technologist for Cloud Technology, and Adam Harding, SoftCat's Chief Technologist for Modern Workspace. Dean, Adam, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for joining us today in this new remote podcast isolation location recording studio. Uh, how are you both getting on with life in lockdown? Hey, Zach. Good. Um, it's, uh, it's been different, but it's, I quite like it. It's quite good, but not forever. No, no. Uh, yeah, and, and likewise, Zach, I think it's been a very interesting couple of weeks. I think it's been pretty rewarding. Speaking of lockdown and things like that, we always have a nice big question at the start of this, super important. Big question this week, what's the first thing you're going to do once lockdown's been lifted? Definitely uh, get the kids out um, and to see family. We're supposed to have a, a family kind of barbecue thing in, in June and um, that's been put back. So I haven't seen them for a while. Obviously, we've been doing Zoom calls or, or collaboration calls and doing all that sort of stuff and, and getting family, actually seeing family I haven't seen in a while, coming on and saying hello and seeing how they are. But, but you know, I think we'll want, want to make the effort to get to see each other. I think we realise that, uh, yeah, these kind of moments, they are kind of, uh, I suppose, open up that, that you don't make the effort as much as you should. So it's kind of that make more of an effort to see each other. So looking forward to actually uh, catching up with everybody. I think I'm probably, I think you'll all agree, notoriously antisocial as a, as a starting point. So I haven't found this too bad myself. But um, yeah, to Dean's point, I think it's highlighted. I think it's highlighted what's important, really. Um, and first things I'm going to do, likewise, barbecue and beers with family and friends. Maybe two or three of them. Why limit it to one? Yeah, no, I think I'm very much the same. Uh, thanks very much, guys, for, for entertaining that. Um, now, let's get on with it, I guess. So something I'm sure a lot of employers are being asked at the moment is to do with the future of working from home and how this has affected all of that. Has our understanding of the workspace changed forever? So I don't know if, 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 if our understanding of the workplace places has changed forever but probably the focus of how we we start to design working practices and working styles and maybe the uh, focus we put on 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 people how can we be sympathetic to their situation how we can be empathetic to their situation you know there's when we're out of this there are still people that are going to have family challenges that are going to need to look after their kids when they're not well that have family members that need a bit more support than we might previously have been aware of so i think there's certainly the human side of even considering how you look after a workforce which change. So do I expect everybody to be remote and never to come back to work? Absolutely not. I think it's this has been the grandest uh, scale production pilot that we could have ever imagined for remote work. So what it probably has done has proved 
those roles that work and those roles that don't. And those personality types at an individual layer that get on really well with it, that are self-motivated, that are driven, that can work without uh, micromanagement, and those that, that don't. And I think it's probably highlighted and given us, a, a, a given organizations and, and the leadership within organizations, a real good feel of, of where they could use this, where it would be better for their people and for the business. My gut reaction, and and, and we don't want to get into crystal balls particularly on, on, on this, is that when the wave comes crashing back and we are and we are released from our from our little prisons and we're allowed to come back to the office i think there probably will be lots of people as to to mine and dean's point before they just want to get together just want to socialize just want to see each other and then i think give it a couple of a couple of weeks or months and things will find that new normal where you probably will see the appetite for full-time remote working take a notch up but you'll equally find people that absolutely hated it but it needs to find its new its new normal, its new level. And there certainly won't be, it's not going to be a polar shift. But the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And we've all eaten quite a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. So do you think then the potentially the, the situation that's going on now, it, it, there's things we can learn from that or, or things it can teach us about working differently? It's almost an ex experiment, a real-time experiment, isn't it, globally? And with any of that, there's got to be lessons that need to be learned from from mobilizing essentially anybody who can be because there's an awful lot of companies out there that don't have the ability to do this this kind of stuff you know they're not going to log into these kind of calls and be able to collaborate and still write documents and still provision technology to facilitate that business there's going to be a lot of organizations out there that are manufacturing and different businesses it just essentially this doesn't help them um you know there's people who still have to do you know deliveries and we see this you know on the news regularly you know, globally, that the, there's people who still have to go into hospitals and do their job. There's people who still have to go into care homes and do their job. And, and these things benefit a certain sector of the workforce, there's no doubt. And I think that is what will come out of this. There's lessons learned where there's certain jobs that actually can work this way. But there's still a lot of jobs out there that absolutely have no no way of working this way. So so I think it's a, it's a mixed bag for me. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think that when people f uh, throw around the term digital transformation prior to this, some of those projects and programs have really been dressed up versions of, a, of a, a glorified kit refresh and an upgrade. And it's very much not taken on the original ethos of digitizing processes that were manual or that were disjointed or that you had to be in a certain place at a certain time to, to get done. So I think that we'll probably see a big jump forward in, well, come on, guys, how can we actually, whatever the, the job we're doing, how can we liberate that from the, the confounds of, I need to be in this room with this person to do it. I need to sign this physical piece of paper. I need to do X, Y, Z. And, and actually see so people go back to focusing on how can I digitize processes so that things, so that there's, there's a reduced opportunity for the business to stop running, for, for there to be business interruption. And I think when you look at the, well, those people that aren't just straight office workers, because to be honest, it's pretty easy to push out G Suite and Office 365 and one of the many collaboration tools and set up a project management thing and you know put some time management software. It's fairly easy 
for the office type workers to work from home. It's relatively easy for things, people who work in contact centers maybe these days to work from home because a lot of those technologies have been pushed into the cloud or are readily accessible from whichever location you happen to be sitting in on whichever device you happen to have. But to Dean's point, for those frontline workers, whether they be people on construction sites or, pe- or people on shop floors or people doing stock take or nurses and, and doctors, Anybody who's, who's really out there that probably makes up a good 50, 60% of the workforce. Um, I think there will be a renewed focus on well, how can we do more for them? How can we develop apps and things to do more for them? What I do, what I do find interesting with all this situation, though, is that we've got, <laughs> Adam's seen this regularly, you, you kind of previously have spoken to customers who have invested in these tools, certainly the collaboration tools, and it's, um, it's this whole thing. And we've developed services to help enable people on how to use them. It's almost, you know, I've got Microsoft Teams or I've got Zoom and how can I actually really leverage the benefits of using these tools in certain work working sectors? And it's incredible how many of those companies say, I can't, you know, I don't disrupt that person over there to go through that training. And suddenly what I think has happened over the last few months, which is a positive, by the way, is that suddenly these tools have enabled and forced maybe those people that would not necessarily use those tools because it might have impacted their day to day job on how they do things normally. Now it's saying you've got no choice. And actually, we've got a whole range of people now and organizations who are actually leveraging the tools they've probably invested in for a while. And the majority of their workforce are now having to use. So going back, I actually think there's going to be a whole learning shift and a new way. You know, people who actually know what Zoom is now and, and doing these kind of you know quizzes during the evening and doing kind of um, communications with hundreds of people, you know, they may not, not even know using, you know, tools and, and logging into these platforms. They wouldn't have done that six months ago. So imagine that taking that into essentially what we can do in the office space. It should be the norm. It has to be the norm. It's going to become the norm in actually society now because everybody's doing it and everybody's now enabled to do it and it's aware on how to do it. So I think that to me is a huge positive that a lot of the organisations we've been supporting for the last few years, these tools now become absolutely relevant and now going to be ingrained in everybody's normal life as well as their working life. And to the point where I thought thought was interesting the other day, we're starting to actually see dedicated advertisements on TV for Microsoft Teams specifically. You know, to actually say Microsoft Teams, this is what it does. I mean, we're seeing this now, you know, we're seeing advertisements on particular tools. And and I said this a few years ago and I, I stand by it. Microsoft Teams for me is probably the best Microsoft application since they launched Word, Excel and and PowerPoint. And, and I think it's being proven that it is that. And 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 now we're seeing other tools that are essentially competing as well and doing the same thing. But it's normal. It's going to become the normal way we do things. And this, out of anything, um, through this crisis is, is going to accelerate that. Yeah, and, and I agree. I, th- I think I think you you can see similar similarities to other big breaks, almost you know through through the two thousand and eight uh, financial crisis and the rest. That old patterns of work have already been pushed to their limit, and I think that we were already even internally within Softcat, we were already trying to encourage people to work in new ways, to embrace new opportunities. Microsoft Teams and Slack and, and things like that are a great example of where from us, a very simple thing, when we do projects, we wanted to have one cloud-based document that we could all edit, write, co-create, review together quickly and fit effectively rather than passing documents around via email. So you end up with 40 different copies of the same thing by the time people had offered their opinion. And it was a bit more difficult because people were happy with the way they used to do it. But you end up with these structural breaks, I think, where the old patterns get pushed beyond the point of it not working anymore. And I have 
seen an appetite created by the users um, to want to embrace this stuff now. It's not just IT saying, hey, we've got a new gadget or gizmo. Would you like to give it a go? The users genuinely see the benefit because they've been forced. It's like no one buys an, a decent insurance policy till they've had something stolen. It's the way it is. Yeah, yeah. Do you think maybe then with the with a more sustained focus on these kind of tools and, and platforms, uh, do you think beyond coronavirus that will increase? But that, I mean, that sounds like what you're saying to me. Uh, where, where do you think that's going to go? Do you have any ideas of what that might include? So I think that it is an element of development. So we have already seen, as we've discussed, people adopting new approaches with technology, whether it is actually starting to embrace those collaboration platforms that, as Dean's alluded to, were probably available a good little while ago, but people just had no appetite, no reason to worry about dialing up from communicating via email to actually using video calls and things. We'll actually see that continue. So they'll start to become the fabric of how we do things. But during this, the rush and being pragmatic in all fairness to get our organizations mobilized so that people could work from home, we've had to give a little bit on user experience and on on security. Uh, so whether it's IT control and equally cost control. So what we'll probably see is a development to try and readdress the balance with that. You'll see things like gov proper governance coming in for Microsoft Teams and Slack and WebEx Teams and those kind of platforms. And I think that's it, it's more about, right, the basis is there. Let's dial it up. Let's improve it. Let's make this a beautiful user experience again. Let's make sure that we protect the organizations and the individuals who are using them. Yeah. Slightly different direction. With, with everything sort of now being carried out remotely, one thing that's really important to Softcat in general, as you guys know, um, is Softcat's culture. How do you think other organizations can still retain their company culture and differentiate themselves if everything is now just moving to that sort of teams style business it's going to be a balance right so this is this is we've got no choice today this is kind of how it is and so enabling these platforms and tools to facilitate that way means that we all can carry on doing an element of our job but i think it's clear that and it's been made very clear you know very clear at softcat that our culture certainly is it's a people centric it's customer service focus and you can only do so much over these tools in that regard. You know, you still need to be able to sit in front of people and talk to people in, in a face-to-face -face way. You get a lot more from that. I think what, what Adam was saying earlier was you can collaborate with documents or, you know, we do bid responses or you can write something for a customer or even, you know, if you're deploying something in a cloud platform or architecting something, for, for that's fine. You can do that in these ways. But when it comes to actually ideas and being creative and actually just generally working on a human level, the culture of Softcat is that, and actually being in front and on a desk with your team, your peers, that's going to continue. That's not going away. You're just giving other options, I think, to support a way of working that in companies like Softcat, historically, wasn't wasn't something we didn't do. It was something that was, it was encouraged to a point, but ultimately you get more out of working with people uh, than you do kind of, for me, trying to bring 20 people together on these calls and get the same outcomes. So there's, there's a balance. And I think Softcat absolutely has recognized that. And also, I think it's worth taking the time to acknowledge what, you know, our internal IT teams have done ourselves to mobilize essentially 1,500 people in a very short period of time and using technology to, as, as a driver in a very short period of time to do that. So I think, you know, we, we've seen it firsthand where you've got really good skilled professionals um, that, that do that and allow us all to work in this way. But going forward, I'm pretty sure that most of our workforce is going to be going back to the offices and we're not going to 
reduce that real estate, it's going to carry on. And so I think it's it's a valid point, but I don't think it's one that is going to continue as it is right now. From a cultural perspective, organisations, when you speak to the leadership of, of big or small organisations, you are consistently told that it is their culture that differentiates them from, from their peers, from their competitors, that makes them the company that you should deal with as a customer and the company you should work for as an employee. And I think that this that there will be some winners and losers during this whole thing because you're really going to have to wear your culture on your sleeve. You know, there's going to be some heroes and villains with how you look after your customers, how you look after your employees. So I think that at a broader sense, the pandemic is going to test the cultures. Now, at a ongoing point, culture is is really about it's really about the people. You know, it is the thing that makes you stand apart. It's certainly the thing that makes Softcat stand out on both those fronts. And you have to treat it very delicately. I think you can disrupt technology but the balance has to be right to not disrupt the culture. Uh, I think Dean's absolutely right that there will be a blend. I, I personally think there'll be a little bit more remote working or there'll be a little bit more flexibility, but I don't think you have to, it doesn't have to be a massive upheaval. And I have had conversations actually with, with a, a fair few significant sized organizations over the last week that are looking to, uh, that are considering closing some of their offices. So Softcat aren't because it's our thing, but from certainly well-known brands are and it's not actually because they're expecting their business to suffer it's because actually they think that maybe 20 25 percent of the workforce really will benefit from working at home so they can close one of the four or, or whatever it might be so i think it'll be at an individual company level as to where that will that will come but again what i would say is you will end up because you end up with a mix of remote workforce versus on-premise workforce the biggest thing that will change is the way you manage that mixed type of environment because you cannot manage remote workers as if they're on premise. They don't bump into each other, you know, at, at the water cooler or the coffee machine. They don't get involved in those little updates that actually that are really valuable. They don't necessarily find it as easy to feel part of the organization, to feel like their career is being developed as much as everybody else, to feel that their voice is heard. So actually, a lot of the changes to culture will probably happen at that management side as how do you make just more distributed people feel like they're part of something bigger, make them feel like they're part of the team. Yeah, definitely. Okay, I guess we, we've talked quite a bit about the future of sort of home working from a user perspective and, and and how organizations can deal with that but i guess that ties quite nicely into the next bit of we have seen those organizations having to rapidly adapt to situations uh, as part of this and as part of that there's been an accelerated step towards digital transformation do you think we're likely to see these transformations lasting or is a lot of it actually uh, going to be temporary and as you said before dean we end up going back into the office or do you think that things might last beyond that I, yeah i mean i think digital transformation has been around for a few years now in terms of the the, the buzzword that it that it is but the, there's a reality behind that and, and we're seeing businesses suffer because they haven't invested in digital technologies and what i mean by that it's not just the collaboration piece and home working that's part of it it's actually being able to serve and support customers in a different way you know we've got examples of businesses and we're going to have more of these in my opinion over the next month or two and this is a global issue um, but certainly in the uk we'll, we'll see this you know there's certain retail outlets there's that hadn't had a, a website presence as an example you know and, and you know they've literally gone from x amount of millions to zero in a month and there's others who are born in the cloud or born in um, online uh, retail or e-tail and um, those organizations are 
are flourishing, you know, as, as, as evidence of that over the last few days where, you know, their businesses are booming in. There's one company that's selling joggers, you know, like tops, luxury tracky bottoms and tops. And, and it's incredible. Their business has boomed this month or last, you know, the last two months. And so I think we're seeing a shift where those companies that are digital already, you know, they have that presence, they're, they're doing well. I mean, it's logistics of how they get goods from A to B, but that's still happening. Um, it's those companies that had big, massive real estate and retail outlets that essentially have had to shut up shop. And there's other organizations, car manufacturers, the knock-on effect from them not being able to produce cars and actually nobody on the road. You know, we're seeing it with the oil uh, industry where people aren't filling up their cars globally. I mean, these are global problems that are having huge impacts that will affect us all. But the fundamental shift is that a lot of those organizations where they can, they absolutely will drive through more digital transformation. And we're seeing this already with organizations we're talking to. And that's because they need to have a better way of doing things than the traditional ways of doing things. And right now, there's a lot of businesses looking at that and questioning if what they do is right. Some companies it is what it is. You know, this situation, like, as I say, oil and car manufacturers, you can't solve that with digital transformation or moving something online. But fundamentally, even those organizations having to look at how they do things to see if they can do it better later on. Yeah, I'd agree. I think that the basic premise is that necessity breeds innovation. And all of a sudden, I think that those organizations are probably t tinkering with the idea of doing something slightly different with their business models. But now there's a real urgency behind that. Because those businesses that have been resilient were those that had made the foundation steps. Not everybody ha has a whiz-bang automated process for absolutely everything. But most of them have got the pit, the, the foundation, the cornerstones of the at least modern cloud, modern workspace, modern security architecture, and basic uh, IT intelligence correct. They have survived this with far less disruption to their businesses because they can work without having to physically be somewhere. I mean, Dean, how one of the things I keep on getting asked is about simple things, data centers. You've got a whole, most of our organizations have a, still have a significant on-premise estate. How are, how are people ad addressing that? Interestingly, interestingly, I, th um, I saw uh, a video with the uh, Equinix CEO yesterday, and interestingly, their share price is going through the roof. You know, so they they are obviously the largest or one of the largest global data center providers, um, and it's interesting to see their share price flourishing or going through the roof, as such as it as it has been. But that's because things like cloud technologies still need to be in a data center, and a fair few of them public cloud hyperscalers are in Equinix data centers. And and so, you know, we've seen the boom in these technologies, you know, Zoom are a prime example, where a lot of their platform is hosted in a, on a cloud platform, which sits in an Equinix data center. So, so interestingly, things like Equinix, their data centers are still fully operational. And if anything, they're expanding. But you've got to look at it and say, if I am a customer that's hosted in one of those locations, can I get into that data center to do something? And that's where there's definitely, I think, been a, a challenge because ultimately, you know, those organizations will have to put, and they have put rules in place, if you will, that stop people just coming in as they probably would have done before. So, so I think there's, there's a shift absolutely for data center providers to do more today because ultimately there are a lot of organizations out there that are, you know, that are maybe looking at AWS or Azure and GCP and other clouds, but they still need to reside somewhere. 
they don't just magically appear somewhere that doesn't exist. They actually are still sitting in DCs. And as I say, some of those DCs are still open. They're still expanding. They're still business as usual. It just means that if you're a business and you look after your own IT, that you need to access one of those third parties. I think it's more of a challenge there. But those organizations and certainly ones we're talking to, they are then looking at cloud because ultimately you can provision to those platforms because there's better scalability and those portals are available to do that. You don't have to physically go and install a rack of kits, but someone is installing racks of kits still. That's still happening. And, you know, we've seen some issues recently where, you know, logistics are causing it a challenge, you know, getting access to some of that hardware naturally is becoming an issue or has been an issue. Not a major one, but I think we're now starting to see some of that. But yeah, data centers are still there. They're running. We still require them. But I do think there's um, there's is, is rules for some that may be um, rules for others in terms of how they can access those things. Some of the conversations I've had, actually, it's not just the scalability, it's more the flexibility, because a lot of organizations do see this as a spike in demand for certain services that will disappear. Now, for those people that are already cloud native, it's fairly simple to scale up. And then when it's time to, that you don't need to consume those resources anymore, we, we can scale back down and we can avoid wastage. I've naturally working and spending a lot of my time in the digital workspace arena. That's been absolutely fine with your Office 365s and your G Suites and your Zooms and all that type of stuff. We've had some issues with with connectivity in the very early days because the networks not were not set up for by anybody to deal with that level of saturation. But that's I think that's been pretty well handled over the over the fullness of time where i have seen people really struggle is where simple things they've had on-premise vdi estates that were always built on a in a modular node-based approach where we just add another server and it adds another you know 50 60 70 virtual desktops and you just keep on adding those and that's how you scale but to your point one, getting people into their own physical data centers has been very difficult. Two, the supply chain for components of those, I'm not going to name the brands, but components of that server switching uh, and storage infrastructure has come under a lot of pressure because everybody's needed it at the same time. And public cloud's not immune from that either. So, you know, cloud's coming out of this in a positive way, in my opinion. But, there, you know, we have seen some challenges, security challenges, you know, Zoom as an example have had that, but also, you know, a public public cloud, they're not immune from still having to cater for the growth. You know, Microsoft Teams growth has to run somewhere. It runs on Azure. And that Azure capacity globally has been challenged. So, so, so you know, you're seeing a great shift, but that shift comes with a price and the rules that apply. You know, you still need the infrastructure. You still need the facilities. You still need to be able to provide something that it runs on. And so not only are businesses struggling with that, you know, there's all organizations that have had to meet this demand and spike are coping with it differently, some better than others. Yeah. And, and I think I think you're absolutely right. And and it's, it's all well publicized um, things like Azure struggling with capacity because of unprecedented and unplanned for growth. Um, and to be honest, if they can't do it, how on earth are we going to do it? But it's about it's also about that scaling back down at a point where cash flow is really, really important. I mean, it is on an, in an, under normal situation, but right now cash flow is incredibly important for, for the vast majority of organizations to go out and put big capital spends on kit that you need during a spike that you won't necessarily be able to scale back down and get rid of if this returns to a new normal, which is certainly less than the peak. It's going to be really hard for people. Cool. Okay. Uh, yes. Uh, thanks, Adam. Other than what, 
we've covered already, guys, um, which is quite a lot, obviously. But um, are there any other long-lasting impacts that you will see within the tech industry, or is there anything that you want to make sure we, we talk about today? So, so, I mean, at the beginning of the year, we we, we do uh, the Octo team do uh, the predictions podcast. So, if you want to obviously refer back to that, please do. Um, <laughs> interestingly, we didn't predict this uh, crisis, um, so we're obviously not doing our job properly. But. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but we did predict a few things and it's worth noting you know we want to wanted to revisit some of that as, as during this and 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 you know i think we, we sort of said that you know simplification customers looking at that as in its entirety was something we was already seeing a trend of organizations doing and actually certainly with customers i've spoken to over the last month or so there's an as a, as an appetite and actually to do it there's a bit of a lull in certain organizations where they've got time now to look at what they're investing in how they're spending their money how they're using their technology and actually i think there's this you know this forced review if you will and so i think it's something that people were going to do anyway but i think that organizations are doing it now probably quicker than they may have been doing or wanting to do it and i think that's just going to be even more prevalent over the next uh, six to 12 months, especially as people are having to look at what they're spending and, and potentially looking at the pennies they're going out of their business and actually making sure they're getting the efficiencies on spend and the technology landscape is 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 probably easier to manage and it's sustainable moving forward. So it's challenging companies to look at that. And I think we're seeing that right now. Yeah, I, I would completely agree. I think that what this has done is is reinforced the themes that were probably already there in the background that had a bit of a tailwind uh, and just accelerated them specifically from that from that workplace perspective we were talking about uh, the importance of employee freedom and flexibility with regards to working location patterns devices apps all that type of stuff now the drivers for those have probably changed a little bit they were pre- predominantly focused on attracting and retaining the best talent which is still important but now they've got an added driver of uh, business resilience i think which is something we all hoped we'd never really have to call on but the truth is the truth and the other side of that is is harmonizing it with with it control from a cost perspective from a from a technology perspective and it's about making sure that you can harmonize those two opposing forces and that's something we've really seen people have to review because a lot of organizations were on the path to having technologies in place that enabled that were very people centric that did not rely on device controls particularly that were very much about conditional access contextual access data being classified properly and uh, data policies being applied properly and all of those things give users the freedom to work with customers partners and their peers without the historic restrictions i just think that whole thing will, will be driven forward and that other specific point that we called out was that collaboration and collaboration technologies and making it easy for people to be to work with people whether they are partners customers peers or anything else was already important and now it's even more important yeah and do you think just by nature that then the tech industry will be more resilient to this crisis than other industries or I, I, yeah i think we're seeing that the tech industry is not is not immune but but they are absolutely i think becoming more important and i think we always knew that technology was was important just generally um in the future of things we've seen it over the last 10 20 years but i think more so than ever before we're seeing it impact all industry you know whether you're pub sec whether you're legal whether you're retail whether you're construction doesn't matter what you're in there's an such an element of technology that underpins a lot of that 
uh, a lot of the services and you know even to the point you know we we're still getting a lot of you know delivery drivers are still delivering a lot of stuff to a lot of people because people are ordering a lot of stuff online and ultimately the technology that even underpins that is standard now and if anything those things are accelerating so i think that technology is coming out positively from all of this and is an enabler to keep us closer together when we are in most cases apart fine uh, and I guess the last question really what what do you think the positives that can be taken from this are i think it's difficult to quantify that until you know as i say for me it's we're in this sort of phase two movement moment where we're still learning but there's going to be a, um, a lot of analysis following up i think and there's going to be some companies that just won't survive i think that's what we're going to see there's going to be industries out there that are going to be hit pretty hard you know aviation isn't a prime example of that where you know how do governments help them survive technology isn't going to solve their problem what we do as a business isn't going to solve their problem you know we can do defer payments but ultimately some industries just need to get running to actually it's the cycle right of business and 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 certainly i think we're going to see some uh, some casualties i think so i i don't know what that's going to look like but certainly I think there's going to be other companies that are going to come out of this exceptionally in a positive way, exceptionally positive. And, and it's just about how those industries um, evolve post COVID, I think. And a lot of those will be technology companies. Yeah. And I, I think the main positive to come out of this awful, awful situation is probably more of a human one. I think it's, it's actually empathy. Uh, I think it's actually just focusing what's important. Yeah, we understand people, organizations need to be productive. They have to be efficient. We have to manage risks. But more important, we've got to put our people front and center of everything all the time and be empathetic to the, their individual situations and, and, and be sympathetic with it. And, and, and I, just, I just want to reinforce that because it's, it's such an important part. You know, we are all being told to stay at home, certainly in the UK, and what we're seeing now, and I think businesses and certainly Softcat recognises this, we do have children, we do have home lives, we do have commitments that work enables us to have. We're lucky enough to have jobs because there's a lot of people out there at the moment who don't or, or are getting furloughed. And I think we're lucky enough to have jobs and, and Softcat's an incredible support to, to, to all of us. But the key thing is, I think there's this acknowledgement and it won't be just Softcat, it'll be others. You know, organisations can say we support our staff with these things like, you know, uh, home care for the kids or schooling and, you know, whatever it is, certainly from personal experience. But I think their organisations are going to have to, you know, really acknowledge the fact that it's a real thing. It's not a virtual thing. People do have these things in their lives and organizations and businesses, I think, going back to what Anna was saying, are going to be more acutely aware and even empathetic to those situations and more supportive, I'd hope. And I think this just kind of highlights the fact that you can have a balance. And I think hopefully that's taken into uh, the next few years and we businesses build more support for uh, people who have things happening in their personal life and i think softcat really does that well and i hope other organizations post-covid really recognize that more because essentially they're seeing it more yeah perfect uh, thanks guys okay well that is it for another episode of explain it dean adam it's been really great talking with you thank you very much for your time and joining over this new way of doing this if anything has piqued your interest or um, you've got any questions off the back of this episode please do email us podcast at softcat.com and don't forget to click subscribe uh, so you can stay up to date with explain it from wherever you listen to your podcasts thank you very much for listening to explain it from softcat